Hi, everyone. This is James Giglio, CEO of MVP Interactive, and welcome to the MVP Podcast. Our podcast will bring insight to a range of topics involving technology, consumer engagement, experiential marketing, and general business-related subjects. This show will host not only our great roster of clients from the professional sports world, along with Fortune 500 brands and agencies, but other entrepreneurs and startups. We hope our podcast brings value, and thank you for listening. For general inquiries or topic requests, please email mvppodcast at mvp-interactive.com, and please subscribe to our YouTube page and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and SoundCloud with account name MVP Interactive. Right, and welcome back to the MVP podcast. We have a very special guest today, Bobby Basham, who is the Director of Player Development at the Chicago Cubs. Really excited to have Bobby here on the show. We're going to talk about some really key insights with what the organization is doing for player development and the technologies that are being incorporated into such work. Uh, A little bit of background on Bobby. He's a former professional baseball player and current sports executive with a strong background in sports technology, sports science, analytics, and their applications to player development. Bobby, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is uh, is exciting. So um, I'm excited to talk talk some shop. Yeah, you know, it's not very often that we get to really, well, let me take that back. I mean, obviously, MVP Interactive and founding the business, you know, eight years ago, I was able to kind of play into my passions, but this is a special passion. I, uh, not to your degree, but I did play a little bit of baseball in my younger days. And, and so being able to talk to a, a former big leaguer and, and someone that's, uh, developing the new big leaguers, especially through technology is really unique. So I'm super excited for this. Oh, that's, that's great. Uh, we all have to hang it up at one time, right? It's just <laughs> yeah. it's when, when you have to hang it up. Yeah. So let's talk about this a little bit. So your background, uh, you, you know, you go from a, a baseball player to an executive in healthcare and then back to baseball. So tell us a little bit about your journey, maybe even, you know, as early as, as college and where that started and, and how you landed here. Yeah, no, um, you know, we all have our, our stories and, um, you know, as you get further and further away, you kind of like wonder how you ended up where you are. But um, uh, yeah, grew up in Virginia, went to the University of Richmond, actually on a football scholarship that we were discussing, but kind of knew I was a little bit better at baseball. Um, Really like rocky up and down, you know, college career, but luckily the baseball has like a ton of rounds, right? (laughs) So, um, you know, I I sort of got injured and um, et cetera. And, you know, ended up, being drafted by the Reds in like the seventh round and um, um, had was really like a seven year career. Same thing, like injuries. Uh, my claim to fame now is at the time I didn't know how uh, like, uh, you know, connected this was all going to be, but I was traded straight up for David Ross, who's now our, our manager. And more importantly, dancing with the stars, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> worldwide fame and, probably most importantly to me, like, uh, you know, world series winner. Right. Um, great protege so for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you know, at the time, like, you know, it was nothing like David Ross wasn't anything. And then all of a sudden later on working with the Cubs, I was like, Oh yeah, this guy's a pretty, pretty critical connection. Right. In my life. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, you know, for, fortunately, unfortunately, like didn't quite make it to the big leagues, um, sort of flamed out. Um, was looking for like the next, um, like the next chapter went to, to grad school, went to business school at Northwestern, um, took a f- sort of, you know, my, my college major was biology and I was sort of pre-med. So I went to work for a healthcare firm in, in New York and, you know, just immediately, um, had the itch and, um, you know, wanted to get back in the game and, you know, um, at the time I didn't realize how like you know, fortunate the timing was, but, um, you know, coming from, you know, Chicago to New York, um, like Theo was going from Austin to, uh, Chicago. And, um, usually the way that this type of thing works is, um, you can't take a lot of people with you when you leave to go from place to place. In fact, I think they actually had to trade a player for Theo at the time. Right. So they were starting up a fledgling front office, 
you know, you know, long story short, was lucky enough to get an opportunity to go there. And, um, and that was 2012. So, um, it, you know, that was, uh, you know, some early lean years in 12 and 13, even to 14. But, um, you know, we, we built it up from from the ground up. And 2016 was kind of why you do it. Right. Like yeah. being there when we uh, won a World Series, like no matter what position you were in, it was just like a it's a special thing and um, special for everyone around the right, city and right. Ricketts family was awesome. And right. just seeing that piece of history was, um, you know, I mean, it'll probably go down as my like greatest career accomplishment, even though I was like a very insignificant part of that whole thing, because like, yeah, what else is going to top that in, right. in sports right now? Right. Now, um, now, big question. Now, did you get a ring? And do you I got feel- a ring. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and was, when do you break uh, that out? You know, it's they're they're so big, and <laughs> um, and even they're sh- they're sharp because they have so many stones. So, yeah. my the best story is like um, when Jed and Theo were handing them out to the players on the field. Jed said he he noticed like his hand was really sweaty after a while, and he looks down and he literally like cut both of his fingers because he was shaking people's hands with this huge like thing on is just kind of yeah. unnatural right they don't, they don't so, call them blood diamonds for nothing no no not at all right and, and they went out like way way over over the top for the cubs ring so um so uh i hardly break it out but um you know i maybe if i'm wearing a suit or speaking or there's like a reason i mostly like just show it to my kids every once in a while and right Right. Then try to hide it so they don't they can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, smart man, smart man. Well, yeah. uh, what an accomplishment. And yeah, what a what a what a piece of jewelry to, to have and memorialize, uh, you know, your, your journey, especially. And then, yeah, to be a part of uh, a World Series for an organization like the club, the Cubs that have waited um, you know, a century essentially, right. Uh, to, to really get there. So going back to your days in healthcare, I can imagine. And, and again, I, I am speaking be- way below, um, the, the level of your experience in, in, in terms of, um, professional sports, but, you know, working the, the sort of nine to five or the executive track as a former athlete, uh, you know, there are, I'd imagine some parallels in, in our experience, my experience personally working with or being around professional athletes is there is a certain mindset, there is a certain work ethic that really transfers into the professional world, uh, which I think makes a lot of sense why a lot of former athletes are successful business people as well as well as entrepreneurs. Um, but there is, I'd imagine that that nagging tug of, hey, how can I get back into the sport? Because as great as being in the corporate world, baseball is just baseball, you know, and that's in you. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I think that one of the hardest things um, about stepping outside of sports. Um, like you, you know, where you stand, right? Like you have a baseball card, there are wins and losses at the end of the year, you either win the championship and that never goes away. Right. Or, or, you know, you lose and you start again. And, um, you know, it is like in the corporate world, there's just so much gray. Right. Um, (laughs) You know, like you make money, you don't, it's like black and white, but like how much money, like the timing, the funding, even just like how well is my product and what should my sales targets be? I mean, it's just, um, right. you know, it's, um, and then even, you know, if you're in a management position or, or, or you're dealing with some softer skills, like how do you measure good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that like dovetails into like some of the stuff we'll probably touch on is, um, like even bringing that back into sports, um, you, you start to look for those opportunities of like, where, where can we better measure what's good and what's not? Like, how can we really like, you know, not, not that, you know, I'm, I'm furthest from the person who wants to like change baseball into its robotic form that it could be, but um, you want to do the best for your players. Right. And you want to know what, um, you know, what you're doing is like actually making them better. Um, so, so the great thing about recently is there's just so much data, not only on the field, but off the field that we're trying to make sense of and so many new technologies that can kind of help our players. And, um, you know, that, that's something where, um, you know, we're certainly trying to 
turnover relief we can just to give those guys the best opportunity and like just test to see if it works. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting that you bring up this, this performance and, and judging, you know, and, and accountability and all of that. And as a startup and early stage companies, you know, there's not necessarily a, a playbook that you're equipped with, right? You know, usually it goes from idea to execution and then all of a sudden you have a business. And, and so, um, you know, when you're working in professional sports or being an athlete, you know, you're measured, you know, down to the micro detail of your performance, but kind of bringing that over into the business world. Uh, one of the things that we just recently started to implement are essentially these scorecards, right? And that we are able to sort of break down each individual's roles and responsibilities within the company and then have a weekly check-in with that individual to just kind of go through the list and, and talk about, you know, maybe some of the, 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 the wins, the losses, you know, areas of improvement and just getting into that cadence um, has been a really rewarding experience. It's one of the things that I wish I would have implemented sooner, but much like to your last comment, you, you just try to figure it out and you're out constantly dialing the knobs and, you know, seeing what's working and what's not. But um, yeah, so I can certainly appreciate that comment in terms of business being gray and, you know, how, how do you really accurately um, review performance and what have you. Um, but going back quickly, anecdotally to, you know, being in the executive world or the corporate world and then baseball kind of pulling you in, we had the pleasure of uh, shooting VR and 360 film with the Philadelphia Phillies a couple of years ago for spring training. And so I was down there. Of course, I wanted to, did I need, was I the most technically, you know, skilled person to be down there? No, but I certainly wanted to be there, you know, amongst the players as a former, uh, you know, athlete and just baseball fan being there uh, and then just kind of being in that setting and having that moment of like, wow, these people actually get paid to do this. And, you know, just being invigorated, I felt like a kid again. You know, I had to remain professional, of course. I'm first and foremost professional when, sure. <laughs> when I'm yeah. on site. But there's that internal glee of like, wow, this is this is an incredible opportunity for everyone involved. It's a great industry. And so being able to kind of go back into that had to be pretty special and um, rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for me, like, you know, the minor leagues are, are just such a cool uh, snapshot of professional sports because you know these guys are professional athletes like they get paid mm -hmm. some of them got rather large signing bonuses but at the same time they're still almost have that amateur feel to to them because they're all trying to make the big leagues right, right and right. and that like um and that line is like really black and white like you're a minor leaguer you're a big leaguer and it only takes a day and so it's such a rewarding feeling to like um to sort of like know these guys coming up and play whatever little part we do and sort of like shaping them or giving them the environment to grow. And then all of a sudden see them transform into, you know, the guy on the TV screen, yeah. you know, yeah. and then the guy who like gets the big hit or, you know, the guy who gets the contract and you're like, man, I you know, remember when you were probably eating ramen and like, <laughs> you know, wondering if you should be in this game. And now, um, you know, now you're, you've you like achieved your dream right that, that's so awesome that part's really a warrant and, the, yeah. and then just like the history of it you yeah know? Uh, you probably have like a proud dad feeling right like i, I don't know if that's taboo to say or... yeah kind of right you know like you kind of have your you know especially like different players like everyone has their different relationship with and um you know the, i think dad's a good analogy because like kind of when they go off and they fly and they make it, you know, yeah. you're, you're left at home. <laughs> <laughs> Remember where you came from, son. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, well, you know, it's, it's, you know, like some people might not take it this way, but it's kind of cool that like one week you can be, you know, arguably this person's boss that like they're trying to impress because they want you to like either, you know, ultimately like jed and theo are, are the guys making decisions on any big league call up but like the guy like stumps for them like oh we need to call this guy up he's playing really well or at least promotes them yeah then all yeah. of a sudden like you know 
your chopped liver, man. I'm in college. <laughs> like, I got all my friends. This is awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, can you call home like once? Like, just tell me how it is. <laughs> tell me you're okay. <laughs> uh, that's hysterical. So, so let's get into a little bit of your your day to day, and and you know, when it comes to player development, um, I don't think I had asked previously. So, what position did you play when you were in baseball? Oh, I- I was a pitcher. You were yeah. a pitcher. Okay. Yeah. And now did, is that what you do currently with the, the Cubs? Uh, I, I, um, so like, like coming up through the Cubs, I've done a variety of different things, including like, um, sort of like game planning for our opponents in the big leagues. I spent a year like traveling with the team, but, um, not, now in my current role, um, I think it's mostly about like, um, putting our coaches in the best position to succeed, like building systems, like making sure like we have like real process and goals around what we're doing with our players. Um, A lot of my role, like kind of like my side hustle, which I've really adapted to over the last five years, just like love to have conversations with, you know, people like yourself about like what's out there. Right. Um, Right. Because, you know, that, that line between like sports and, and, you know, um, know the call it the corporate world just the rest of the world like you know there's a lot happening in the tech space right and and honestly it doesn't happen in the sports space first it Mm -hmm. happens you know silicon valley it happens in healthcare it happens somewhere else and then someone sort of like steals that which might not even be the best version of that tech and like tries to sell it to you know a pro team because it's cool um (laughs) exactly so like sort of like that side hustle of just like, you know, new ideas, new people, new influences, even new, like, you know, you talked about your HR process, trying Mm -hmm. to like set that up for our coaches and to develop those guys and give them like, what do you, what do you actually want to do with your career? Like, what are the gaps in your resume? How can we help train or fill that? Like, right now that that's sort of um, like my main focus. And then they're just, uh, a lot of like logistics that go along with eight teams and 200 plus players and coaching staffs and training staffs and all yeah, that for yeah. all those guys. And COVID is really, um, calls that part of my world to be much, much bigger. There's just so many hoops and protocols and yeah, precautions sure, to sure. just, just make sure that stuff is, is going off. Okay. But, um, you know, try to leave the, like, real coaching and the real analytics, the guys who are like in the weeds now and just give them tools to do their job. You know, one of, one of the things, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate, uh, experiencing is with, with our company is, you you know, you, you develop these relationships with the organizations. Now, obviously we do a lot of work with corporate sponsors, but on occasion, if we get to work with the teams directly, you really get an inside perspective of the operations and, you know, that separates what a fan perspective is versus what the organization really is. And I think most people, you know, as much as they know, you hear athletes and, you know, GMs when they contract negotiate, you know, there's this is the business side and all of that. But the one the one acknowledgments that I've had is, um, you know, fans may see, hey, this is just a sport and they just kind of always throw that out there. Oh, you're just playing a game. You should be grateful. But the inner workings of an organization, um, you really get to see how well organizations run once you get to work with them and how they handle and legitimize their processes and their and the business of the organization. This is just not a sport. There are so many levels, so many roles, so many responsibilities, so many different departments. And in many ways, you can really see that influence from some of the the long tenured successful organizations versus the ones that kind of middle and, you know, kind of meander in the middle. But a lot of the times it really comes from the top and the ownership level and how they approach that business. Now, in the 80s and 90s, there was a running joke that, you know, the any sports owner is basically these are toy trains for billionaires, right? And there that may have been true. And there's probably some ownership that takes it that way. And it's just the way to diversify investments and what have you. But in my experience, really seeing the the ownerships that 
handle this as their baby, as their business or their startup, really had a, a, a really convincing parallel to the success and the history of the organization. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that's like, if you may. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think I think you have a good point, right? Because, um, you know, our like your your owner drives everything, and that can be a positive or negative, um, depending on what situation you are. Like, fortunately, the Ricketts family they're they're one of the best ownership groups yep. in baseball. Um, I think they understand what makes um, like Wrigley Field special. Yep. Um, you know, Tom met his wife in the bleachers. Um, and, and another and another thing is they understand what they're good at, which is, um, you know, running a business, developing Wrigley, setting up the strategy group. And then they invest like very heavily in the baseball ops group and kind of, you know, let Theo and Jed largely, you know, do their thing. Right. Yeah. And certainly yeah. they're going to sign off on everything and they're going to set budgets and, you know, set directions and approve everything. But um I think sometimes it's hard when, um, you know, you know, from what I've, I've heard in other organizations, if, you know, if, if your owner is the one that's uh, like making the trades or, or, or really getting down in the weeds, because, right. uh, you know, like one of the good and bad things about professional sports is like, oh, everyone can kind of make a trade right or sign a player <laughs> like you know a little bit about baseball right uh, you know like the fantasy sports has, has made us all gms <laughs> or yeah owners. yeah if i'm looking at the vr world and you know like i'm not gonna necessarily pick the right players or merge with the right company or know the right vendor right like just because there's a lot of like expertise there but watch a couple baseball games and you know you can at least take a educated guess right so We've been we've been really fortunate in that um, respect, and you know, also just fortunate to be part of the Cubs as a franchise going back hundreds of years. Like Chicago's a great town; it's got a great fan base. Like they're like probably more forgiving than they should be <laughs> um, <laughs> compared to other major media compared to Philadelphia where you're at. Well, I, well it's I, a I'm family, sure, right? yeah, yeah. Well, that's the <laughs> thing, right? Like if Philadelphia fans treat their sports teams like their their younger sibling where you know you can make fun of them but no one else can right like that's yeah, that yeah, that's yeah. the relationship where i feel like you know chicagoans are you know they the cubs are like a generational family member that you just respect and win lose or draw you just support uh <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, no, but no. chicago is is one of my favorite places i mean obviously for many people too but um you know you got to time it right that's the only drawback <laughs> you've got a small window of weather that no and uh but it's a it's a wonderful city in town and um yeah it's a world cl- world class um destination for sure. So you and I had met through a mutual colleague, Natasha French, who uh, you guys are both active and involved with a accelerator program called Stadia Ventures. Rather than me explain it, uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit about Stadia and and your involvement there? Sure. Um, You know, Stadia Ventures, I think they've been around for five or six years, but um, they, they, run a program where they, they bring in, um, you know, they, they vet a lot of sports related companies, they bring them into pitch and then they actively invest in those companies and, and sort of through their network of like contacts and colleagues, like, um, allow them like support and give expertise to those companies and in, in, in the hope that they can, you know, grow or take the next step in, in their, their business. And, um, just like a phenomenal network and group of people, um, and so Natasha and I are part of uh, a mentorship team for this uh, virtual uh, reality. Um, you know, it's sort of, it's not meditation, but it's, um, it, it, it's like meditation. So it's like active, um, you know, focus training, stress release. So you're in a VR environment. Um, they use um, brainwave like monitoring or heart rate monitoring where you can, like control your environment when you're able to calm yourself down or, or, or level yourself out. Um, and they've got some clinical backing that shows that if you train with their product that you can actually make some, uh, um, some, some pretty cool leaps. Right. And yeah. so in the, in the sports space, 
um, you know, Phil Jackson probably initially made it popular, but, um, you know, meditation is sort of like taken off is, is yeah. a, a thing an athlete can do to really like center themselves and practice being focused in the moment. But, but to me, like not everyone really can sit there and, um, control their breathing and acknowledge their thoughts. I, I mean, <laughs> athletes as a, as a group can be, you know, they want to, Type wanna, A, just go for it. Yeah, they want to get out, right? <laughs> like, what am I doing sitting here? Like, I can't do this. Like, yeah, um, yeah. you know, so um, like this product, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, trying to test a little bit internally with our athletes as well. Um, just believe there's a certain type of like person who, you know, can focus in this environment, visually train themselves in a more active way um, and, and really experience experience some of those same um so um it's been great getting to know natasha she knows a ton about the the vrar space and um you know there there's some products in, in baseball including like hitting training yeah that are that have been around and getting better and better year over year um that that, that really like maybe haven't taken off yet but are starting to become a bigger part of what we do um and certainly like you see on the horizon that eventually they will be a big part when they're ready. Um, so for me, it's just a great learning experience and um, fortunate to be around some really good people there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you and I first um, met, you know, through Natasha, we talked about some conceptual ideas that, you know, you as someone that, uh, as you said, your quote side hustle, but really your your passion and interest in in sports science and technology, you, you know, kind of brought to us a, a bit of a challenge to say, hey, you know, what in the bag of tricks, if you will, or at least what that we have built or you know have knowledge of building could be applicable to. Uh, you know, a pitching environment in, in a training setting, you know, whether it's a bullpen session or, you know, just trying to increase velocity or pitch recognition through hitters and whatnot. You know, it, 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 it's super exciting to even get, you know, put your headspace there and, and start really thinking about what could work, you know, outside of experiential, you know, engagement technology. But, what are some of the things that you're seeing right now, or maybe the, the club is what, whatever you're privy to t disclosing, that's not, you know, too confidential, but yeah, no. what are the technologies that you, that you see on a day to day, you know, when it comes to player performance and whether you're doing it or other clubs and so on? Well, I think, I think the, like the broader trend has been, you know, I, I think we were, you know, I talked about, everyone having a baseball card. Right. And I think baseball led, led sort of this rev, like statistical revolution and like what that actually means and looking for deeper stats. Um, I, I don't think we led the performance revolution, right? Like we kind of rolled out a bunch of balls said go play a lot of games and then we'll figure out which one of you guys is good. Right. <laughs> um, and, and now I think in the past, like four or five years, that's really, um, that's really changed. Um, and even during, you know, COVID has sort of accelerated that as well, because we've had to do that in a, in a different and more challenging environment. So some of the, some of the big things that, um, you know, have been popular over the past couple of years is um, um, just like targeted like pitch design and even like we'll call it swing design for a lack of a better word is, is, um, you know, getting these guys in like a lab like setting and for pitchers like all right your um you know your stuff looks like this if we could get you a couple more inches of break in this direction you know here's we think that would make you a lot better and lead to a lot of a lot more strikeouts right and so right. like let's actively work on that let's let's try some grips let's like give you instant feedback about are you getting closer and closer to your goal right mm -hmm. um like that, that's been a huge change in our game. Like guys are getting designer pitches they are showing up the next year, or even if they're established big leaguers with like a new trick. And, um, <laughs> there've been a lot of strikeouts, a lot of strikeouts this year. Right? Well, not only that, but I think we're on pace to double the traditional no hitter 
uh, average. I think we're nearing, right? We're at seven no-hitters. And, and just, I'll, I'll timestamp this. We're May 21st, and Major League Baseball has experienced seven no-hitters already. Oh, and we're yeah. not even halfway. And it's I incredible. think that the historical average is, what, nine throughout a season? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, like, credit that. Some of that to, like, not playing baseball – affects hitters way more than pitchers. So the shortened season last year um, certainly put hitters at a disadvantage, gave pitchers more rest and even like more time to train and like gain velocity and strength and stuff like that. That really, that really matters. But also like, you know, the, the bottom part of your roster, like they might not have played baseball at all last year. Right. So like, there's probably like a couple hitters on each team that, maybe got 10 at bats and it just really puts hitters at a disadvantage. Um, so I, th- I think like that's where a lot of our focus now is okay. I think we we've gone pretty far down the line with, um, you know, pitching and there's still a lot to unpack and like mechanics, uh, we're doing a ton of, um, you know, like motion capture stuff. Um, right. you know, markerless solutions have been out for a while. So, um, I think it's the exception now, not the rule that each team has like a like a markerless motion capture yeah. uh, system in their stadium. So we have like 3D skeletons of anyone that pitches in Wrigley, you know, the Red Sox and the Rays and the Dodgers, like all those teams are doing it. And yeah, I mean, that's the, great. the Tigers. Right. So um, so that's caused, you know, we we hired a biomechanist from NASA like two years ago to really like crunch through that data. And, wow. you know, he works alongside our coaches trying to you know, instead of like, oh, I see this, like, here are the physics behind why that might work or, or, or not, right? Um, sure. And since pitching is more like an Olympic sport where you like stand on a rubber, no one's touching you, you take your time, 60 feet, six inches, let me throw this the exact way I want it to, like hitting's reactionary yep. and just harder to understand. Yeah. Um, so a lot of our focus now is like, um, you know, the neuroscience behind hitting, like, you know, spatial awareness, timing. Um, yeah, I was just going to say for, for our listeners that may not know this, what's what's the uh, millisecond count between a, a hitter recognizing a pitch and or like when a pitcher throws it and, and the batter has the uh, time to recognize it? What is it like? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's it's not a lot of time. It's, <laughs> it's certainly, yeah. you know fractions of a second right like especially with guys throwing 100 miles per hour um you know then several papers that it's like human like impossible it should be impossible for you to process that information that's right and and people um, don't believe this but hitting a ball with a bat is the most difficult thing statistically to do in all of sports yeah yeah it's really like and that and that's the interesting thing now is it's um like the hypotheses or your, your brain is just building these like models of what a ball does in space. Right. And so pitchers are trying to break that model and do something like you've never seen before your ball moves in one direction that it shouldn't do for a reason or moves faster than, you know, you've ever seen, or, um, you know, a pitch off that pitch looks like it for, longer than you know the normal pitch like that's sort of like the you know the objective of pitchers now right Mm -hmm. obviously like throw it in the zone get guys out like pitch for a long time but um you know at a very granular level like that's where they are and now hitters are like all right how do we train these guys to be really adaptive right and um a limitation of that is um pitchers like can practice in a game like environment because you just need a ball. Right. And you just throw it. Right. But hitters need something coming at them. Right. Absolutely. So traditional batting practice is sort of going away because, you know, a lot of, a lot of teams and players are realizing like, all right, like, you know, it, it would be like if golf was a sport where they tossed you a ball and you had to hit it out of midair, but yet you were just practicing hitting the golf ball off the ground. You like, that might not actually translate. So like right. hitting 40 miles per hour 
baseballs that are going at a different trajectory than you ever see getting really good at that. Like doesn't mean you're going to be a good hitter in the big right, leagues. Right. Um, so the, here, trying to find ways they can train against harder and harder and more different right. things is just a, you know, we're trying to turn over every rock. Right. Right. And so you had referenced VR in the past for, for meditation earlier, but I would say back in between 2015 to like 2018, there was a lot of VR startups that tried to get into the performance space, right? And baseball seemed to be one that theoretically seemed like a natural setting for a batter to put on a VR headset to try to emulate and recreate that experience. However, <laughs> you know, there was this kind of, all right, this theory of using technology for the sake of technology, because to your point, there's nothing beats live BP, right? Yeah. And so do you have any experience in either testing those VR training uh, sets and, you know, what the results were versus, you know, real life settings? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've looked at, you know, what I think is everything out there and they've kept tabs and, um, you know, the headset quality is continuously improving. So early on, the limitation was just like, oh yeah, um, you know, like the clarity of the picture. Just it wasn't realistic, right? And no. you can map, and even like we we would map video of the actual picture, and there there were like um, you know, sort of like computer vision models that would try to like stretch that guy in the virtual space, and, and that's gotten a little better you know we, we've done the 360 cameras with stadiums so you're like in wrigley and it feels real but there's still um it's still just very hard to know how much that helps right. and right. and I, I think we're close um to this being like a tool like it, it is widely used across baseball i would say almost every team has a VR headset or two, okay. but as far as something that like we've really seen players like commit to and, um, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like what are the players reaction and, or, you know, their thoughts on the utility of it? You know, it's probably cool the first a couple of times, but then what's the longevity look like? Yeah. Yeah. I, like, like some guys will like kind of seeing a guy's repertoire, um, mm -hmm. like before they face them. And that's helpful. Uh, but, you know, you're still just like watching a pitch in a virtual environment versus the act like swinging at a pitch. Right. Um, right. And there are companies that have come out with like bats where you can virtually hit a baseball. But if you're just off by any like the how accurate you have to be for that to actually work is <laughs> yeah. extraordinary. And if you're off, you could really screw somebody up. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's the physics engines and the models, all, all of that stuff. But, but, but down to like, we don't know this, but some batters claim, and it's probably accurate that like can, they can see how the ball spins. Mm -hmm. Well, getting the ball spin right in, uh, in space it's actually really hard. And, mm -hmm. and I would say there are things about the physics of a baseball that are just starting to come out where like, you know, there's, um, this is somewhat mainstream knowledge now, but at least it's like public, like, like the seams can cause the ball to move in different directions than you think. Mm -hmm. And so the way like even pitch tracking worked for a while is there were just holes in the data where like obviously the ball went in a different direction than like the pitch tractor or the model would predict, but like no one really knew why, like, right. Oh, there must be a cut on the ball or a, a thing, but there are these little air pockets everywhere where like guys actually throw what you would, if, if I showed you the spin of a baseball, you'd be like, Oh, that's like a slider. And you're like, no, that ball actually is a sinker that goes the exact opposite way, which, and all that stuff is even now coming out. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I remember you know, a few like, years ago, there was a documentary on the big debate of a fastball. Can it actually rise? Because the big debate is physics says no, but you ask every major league baseball player and hitter, 
and and they will swear on their graves that fastballs can rise. <laughs> well, well a, a slider is the straightest pitch of any pitch because it has bullets like you know bullet spin. You know you you. Not we're on a podcast, so my hand gestures aren't really going to help. But like, if you think about the way a bullet spins in the chamber as it goes down, yeah, a like gun, the matrix, it for, you know, it's slow motion. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it does that for a reason because that helps it go straight, right? Like yep. when you had a musket, you're shooting out basically knuckleballs, and it would go anywhere, <laughs> right? And so, um, a slider basically spins like that. It's like straight, like a true perfect slider, a straight bullet spin. Yeah, but that in essence, like makes it the straightest pitch of anything. Yet a batter perceives this ball as like having this crazy right. movement. Um, it's even like we're guessing at why that is, right? Like the player's brains are used to a fastball, which actually kind of like, because of the way it comes off your arm, sort of goes to the right or <laughs> mm-hmm. from for a right-hander. So yep. like everything's in relation to that like mental model. Right. Um and there's still like disagreements on that. Right. And and so here you are tasking technology to try to refine <laughs> something that is an imperfect yeah. science. And, you know, after you and I talked initially when we, we were just kind of spitballing ideas versus, you know, what we've seen out there, what we are aware of. And me personally, uh, whether it's involved with MVP Interactive or not, I definitely see mixed reality and wearables as a technology that within the next five to seven years is going to really change the way we live our lives and learn things. And so I still cannot get off of that theory when it comes to the task or the discussion that we had in how we're with the advancements of wearables. And we're not talking about you know, the big bulky VR headsets, we're talking more seamless and I'm excited to see what Apple kind of comes out with in the next few years. But something that a a player could actually wear that has some overlay of the physical environment that is able to register data, show imagery and, and, and kind of do read response to your eyes and something along those lines where, you know, looking out forward is one thing, but then tying in the physical swing and a bat, the hit, the pitch recognition. I, it is a big, big task. Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly like the, you know, the, the VR space is one thing, but you, you can, your, your point about AR and, and mixed reality, like that, that has to be coming. Um, even just for the fact that like, bet like more, Oh, it is. Oh yeah. More sure. better feedback the ability to recreate more realistic environments when you're not actually on the field, um, like quicker, more detailed feedback to players, like just them understanding things like athletes are incredible in their ability to to adapt and, you know, they all learn in different ways, but I mean, there are certain examples of pitchers where like you just, you tell them, Hey, I want the ball to move this much this way. Like you Darvish was one, like, he throws like 10 different pitches because he can't you, If you just tell him, Hey, I want that ball to move like an inch more. He'll go like that. And you're like, yeah, it was pretty close. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. like guys, like there's some guys that can do that. Just freaks. Um, yeah. So just giving yeah. them the tools to do that themselves. Like, yeah. This, like, well, they, I, I, I think, computers. yeah, I think in terms of the technology, usually a good leading indicator is the military, right? <clears throat> you know, where they're able to uh, fund not only the research, but the investment in these emerging technologies in in a defense scenario. And so recently you may have heard that um, Microsoft just won a, I think it was a $20 billion contract with the military for uh, the Microsoft HoloLens, which is their mixed VR or mixed reality headset and so I'm really intrigued to see where the military is able to innovate and, and develop off of that platform where it's, you know, again, if it's a five-year lag, what it, whatever it is, I think from a consumer standpoint and also some other, you know, research technologies, we're, we're getting closer. So I think, uh, you know, make all the jokes you want about Google Glass and all of that, but, they, you know, they were way ahead of their time. It's unfortunate that, that you know, it wasn't 
as widely adopted as, as it should have been, but they were early, right? And with technology, if you're too early or too late, it could be the, the end of it, right? And so, but I do think, you know, we're trending in the right direction with what the military is going to develop and, you know, where these big consumer electronic brands are, are, are really refining the hardware is, is going to paint a, a bright future for all of us. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, and then in 20 years, when our kids are our age, it's going to be contact lenses, right? And then that's sure. where <laughs> that's where sports science and and all the the physical integration of technology can can really get super amazing, you know? Yeah, and and I mean, baseball is one thing, but field sports like football or soccer, or hockey, where there's all these bodies flying around, and and really a big part of the game is like, yep you know, like processing where the players are in space and making the right pass or, or doing this, like, yep. like that, that is going to be hugely valuable because yep. the, like you really just need to put the bodies in the right place. You're, you're not talking about like the baseball has to spin in the perfect physics model that we don't even understand. Right. right like, right. Um, this is just like an ability to, you know, you know, get more practice hours of like what, what the right decisions in a game environment should be like. Right. And you could, you could definitely see that taken off sooner than later. Now, have you implemented on, on response time and, and sort of some tangential exercise with technology that isn't the practical movement? So in other words, I I've seen touch screens be implemented for like a Simon says reaction game uh, for athletes to, to see what their, their response and reflexes are like. Have you, have you seen any of that within baseball? Yeah. And we've, we've experimented with that a little bit. Um, you know, I, th I think, um, there's just so much importance with the batter pitcher, like that interaction. It's just such a huge part of our game that honestly, some of the other, you know, where that might, come into play is like training infielders right right but your but your training economy really like is, is so focused on hitting and pitching for the most part that right um you know that it, it hasn't been as big of a part um of our of our training but we, we've certainly messed around with that yeah. but even with like with our rehab group to give guys things to do when they when they can't be out there catching ground balls and moving around like we've done a lot more of that yeah. to get to, 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 you know, uh, again, we don't, we don't necessarily know, but the, the theory is just, you know, the brain is kind of a, a muscle, so to speak. Yeah. And to at least keep that reaction time and, you know, focus and training and keep those neurocognitive skills seems like it'd be important and no harm, no foul. Right. Sometimes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're nearing our time here, uh, given the unique circumstance, our, all of our lives have been in over the last 14, 15 months with COVID. Have you, you had referenced this a little bit, um, but before we, we end, what were some of the, it sounded like you had operational and logistical challenges with, as a result of COVID, but had there been any sort of technical or new integrations uh, that the organization has implemented or, you know, what has the impact of uh, COVID made on actual training as well? And did you, have you leaned on technology to supplement? Yeah, no, um, a huge sea change. Um, I, I, you know, it's, habits are hard to break, um, but in an environment, that COVID sort of presented us with like everyone's habits were broken. Right. So it was almost this extended off season where before we wouldn't leave our guys to their own devices. Like we check in, you know, we would advise them, talk to them, but we probably weren't actively trying to like push specific objective goals using like data and check-ins. Um, and so probably saw some of the same changes everyone saw, right? Like all of a sudden, you know, our 70 year old manager had been like managing for 45 years now, you know, before everyone would say like, oh, that guy can't use Slack or Teams. And, <laughs> right. You know, well, COVID now he's great, right? Like yeah. pops up on his phone, you know, like yep. he's writing reports. FaceTiming um, everyone. It's not just his, his. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, same with our players, right? Like, so even like Zoom to our players and trying to like 
do more presentations and like teach those guys about, um, you know, some of the things we're talking about, or even just like basic concepts that we would save until they got face to face, um, or, or nutrition advice or things like that. Right. We put out, um, we, we fortunately were in the process of building kind of an internal app. So we've, we've started to push a lot more things to our players via that app include, you know, video and, um, you know, we, their player plans, like their performance reviews, which are less like on field and more like goal based things. Like we've started to make those more interactive where they can track that and engage or okay. scouting reports, things like that, that we're, we're now like well positioned to push out. And then, um, you know, like computer vision is going to be a huge part of this next like couple years. And, you know, um, you know, not that we were really at the place to leverage that, but um, just, having those guys upload video and, and doing what we can, even if it's drawing lines on a video, just to like keep tabs on those guys. They're, you know, hundred dollar bat sensors where we could get an idea of their, you know, swing planes and swing speeds, accelerations, or just like swing arcs. Like we would send us out in the mail, have them send them to each other. And even our like portable, like pitch data stuff. Like if a guy was working on something very specific, we would put that in the mail and, you know, get data. So um, I, I think that's only going to continue just this realization that, you know, like everyone, you don't have to come to the office to be productive, right? Like right. baseball right. players can work from anywhere too. Right. And it's, you know, now that we know we can kind of reach them, it, it um, you know, it just means there's more work to be done and better work to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just the perfect case study on, on the utility of technology and how it actually can bridge uh, workflows and, and requirements together at some distance. So if, if this would have happened to baseball, um, five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, Oof. Oh, the state of the game, it, especially the minor leagues, yeah. it's it been, been tragic, right? Careers lost. Right. Um, and it hasn't been great, but I think we've at least mitigated the impact to some extent. Well, yeah, absolutely. Be 20 no hitters right now instead of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of just six well, seven. well, gratefully with each new podcast that we host, um, the days go by and, and the, the, the world lightens up a little bit. So we're, we're look, it looks like we're, we're really finally getting out of the woods here, which is, um, really exciting. And so hopefully this time next year, you know, it's all a thing of the past and, you know, we'll have to wait another hundred years for another situation like this. Let's yeah. hope not, but not well, Bobby, I said this to you, the last time we spoke uh, in that I, I could probably talk baseball for six hours. So the next time you're in Philadelphia or I'm in Chicago, you know, we can maybe do this over uh, some beer or, or, or dinner or something. Sounds, along sounds good. Wrigley is going to be 60% capacity next uh, homestand. That's so. wonderful. That's wonderful. I, I, pretty normal. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners uh, that want to reach out to you or, keep in touch or, or maybe even kind of have some ideas, you know, wh- what's the best way to contact you, whether that's on social media or how, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, no. Um, you know, I'm pretty easy to find on Twitter. Um, I'm luckily not a lot of Bobby Basham. So I'm just at Bobby Basham, um, LinkedIn too. If you Google Bobby Basham Cubs, they're just, uh, you know, one, one nice thing about having an original name, but happy to, Happy to chat with anyone and talk technology and help where I can. So. Wonderful. Bobby Basham, it is a great baseball name, too. It's like right out of uh, a Hollywood movie on like a, a baseball yeah, scout. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> like, I, I really should change it to Robert, but going back into baseball, like the alliteration yeah. is kind of stuck. Yeah. So I'm, and now, I'm, now I'm too old to go back. So a decision that's that's sailed all good no it it works well well bobby i i really appreciate your time this was fascinating and again i can't wait to uh connect with you soon enough and for our listeners so much james such a pleasure you got it all right tune in next time thanks for listening to the mvp podcast see you soon everyone (laughs)